This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, October 1st, 2022. Hey, Dornall, uh, when I was a kid... I had those little mystery books like The Adventures of the Black Hand Gang and, and some others. And I remember learning several things from them, such as a person with a length of read of so long that's a quarter, uh, that's the size of a quarter, will die because they can't expel the air. And so all of the carbon dioxide will accumulate in the tube. And also that uh, a troop of soldiers marching across a wooden bridge can actually cause the bridge to collapse because the rhythm of their marching can set up vibrations in the wood, which can cause it to fall apart. And the last one is, um, oh, darn, that's a Sunday. Not a Saturday. Well, my whole spiel just fell apart. But I'll tell it anyway. If the first of a month falls on a Sunday, it's going to be a Friday 13th that month. Oh. I uh, I never put that together. Uh, but it's going to be a messed up month regardless. I keep on thinking that today is Sunday. Seriously, like all morning, I keep on having to remind myself it's not Sunday. Oh, I, our our poor chat would be waiting a whole 24 hours. I know. I'm going to say, by which I mean, you're lucky I'm here. <laughs> we always feel lucky when you're here, Warpig. Hey, I uh, I didn't tell you what I set up this week, I don't think. I'm all you, ears. You had made a suggestion that for our 300th episode... Uh, instead of doing one of our regular shows, we should do like a live, um, a live AD&D game session. What? Yes, I remember suggesting that. I, so, I can't believe you've, you've set that up. What have you set up? Uh, I asked Drew Bay and Jeffro Johnson uh, if they wanted to come on the show for a four-hour AD&D session on our 300th episode, whenever that is. That sounds... Oh, that's exciting. Yes, oh, I'm hearing this yes. for the first time. Sorry. I, I, I should hope clear. so. I'm glad they said yes, because I'd have to—I'd hate to have to find lesser players to join us. So, uh, you know, we got six episodes until then, but uh, should be mid-November, sometime around there. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we have to miss episodes for various things, but yeah, should be sometime around there. And if it—if it. If it... If we get delayed and it has to be around Thanksgiving, maybe we'll do the week after Thanksgiving. Or heck, maybe everybody's sitting at home on, on that Saturday and wants to play D&D while, <laughs> while scarfing down turkey sandwiches. 
So, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we are doing for our 300th episode, we're doing a special episode uh, instead of our regular ones. Uh, and I think it's going to be an on-camera episode. So, heck yeah. Um, oh, we need to put this in the in the comments. Um, I remember last week how I threatened that I was going to throw up some of the pictures from the con. Yeah. I went ahead and did that. So we need to put in the Twitter link to that thread so people can go look at some of the pictures from the con. Great. Because um, I did send a me, Twitter thread of that. Send me that link. I'll make sure it gets in the show notes for today and last week. Absolutely. Um, I saw some of them. There's some cool pictures. And let's see. I'm trying to remember if there's anything important news-wise. Uh, at the con, I asked a couple people if they wanted to be on the show, but I announced that last week, so we don't have any uh, definite confirmations. Um, and that's funny because convention and confirmations both have the same, you know, syllable. They begin with con. That's why that's funny. But you're not laughing, so we'll move on. <laughs> um, hey, so last week was a hit and miss to, for me because that cold, that cold stretched through all the way till Tuesday. Uh, but uh, did, I don't recall if I mentioned this last week. Did did I mention that uh, I got some uh, new pets at the house? Uh, it's been no. a absolutely delightful week. I just got uh, two little kittens uh, for the house. Uh, they're specifically a birthday gift for my girl, and uh, we absolutely adore them. I don't have I don't have uh, them on camera today. Um, so my my week's been hit or miss, but uh, the the goods have far outweighed the bads. Um. Oh man, I I I need to talk about Brovenloft. Everybody's champing at the bit here. How was your week, DW? Um. I'll be honest. My week was work. Um. We had a Tuesday night session session that was going to be scheduled uh, that was scheduled, but only two players showed up, so we. Uh. We didn't run the session, but we sat around talking about D and D and stuff. Um, that was me and and Jeffro and Drew, which is when we scheduled the three hundred thing. Um, so yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a good night. But then, you know, we had our Thursday night game, which I'm going to talk about because we learned a couple of things. Mostly, we learned that. When the Bro SR sets up a motto, sooner or later they have to eat it. Um, and I'm going to explain that in a bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I really, 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 I had to 
invent, I had to chop up my day even finer because I've chopped up my day into times when I can work on different things. I have a morning is my social media time up until lunch. Uh, lunch till three is my writing time. Um, and now three till dinner, which is only an hour and a half, is my reading time. Um, and that's split between books I have to read and uh, uh, checking on things uh, in other books that I need to read that is more straightforward research. Um, and then after dinner is um, design time. Uh, until eight and then from eight until 10.30 at night is, um, eight until 10.30 at night is watching stuff for the show um, or occasionally reading stuff for the show or listening to stuff for the show. And then after 10.30, I start getting ready for bed at midnight and uh, I'm waking up generally at five something in the morning and that's, you know, from the morning until about seven-ish is getting up and, uh, excuse me, 5.30, 5.45 is getting up and uh, getting ready for my, uh, for my day. Um, and then eating breakfast. So, yeah, my day's pretty tightly scheduled. Wow. I don't know. So everything you. good that happens to me in the week happens within the uh, within that schedule. Well. So we're gonna we're gonna do uh we do Brovenloff first, we're gonna do crazy AD D first. I will let you catch up, catch everybody up on Brovenloff because actually you are more far more plugged into those events than I am. I am well out on the periphery of Brovenloft at this point. <clears throat> well, here's what we know. Brovenloft the epic uh, Brownstein going on in uh, Halloween-themed world kicked off today, and there were multiple factions aiming to make a strong play on day one. And the one faction nobody really saw coming made a play as soon as it started. So we've got something like a dozen high-level characters. Most have kingdoms and large armies. And they're all fighting over the land. And I happen to know, through my spy network, there were several factions hoping to make a big play on day one. Well, I tell you this, we found out on Twitter this morning, as the clock 
struck midnight, the first faction to make a play was Joy of Wargaming's spy network. I presume. As the king of Elfland, the lord of the labyrinth, the Errol Bronig himself was assassinated as soon as Brovenloft was live. Now, if that's not an opening statement, I don't know what is. And we know that we know that the old uh, move to begin pretty, things with. And and here's some here's some insider here's some insider information based on my spy network. Um I'm pretty sure there was more than one faction on the table, more than one patron who planned on eliminating the elf king on day one. So elf king, if you're listening. Uh, you had no chance. Sorry, man. Don't feel too bad about it. Uh, somehow you drew, you your name got pulled out of the hat. Um, and accusations are already flying around. Bropan has has accused uh, the Pope of uh, sending assassins out. Um, did he mean him? Did he mean the assassin sent after Bropan? Did he mean the Elf King? We don't know. Um, so this whole thing, everybody wanted to make a, a move the first day. There are armies marching all around the map. And the first thing that happened, as soon as this clock strikes midnight, one of the patrons is eliminated instantly. Really cool stuff. Yep. Nothing, nothing. Please continue. So... Behind the scenes, uh, the gracious referee has been managing um, dozens and dozens of uh, personal messages for the past three weeks from everybody jockeying uh, to make their plays to get ready for the month, including non-stop divination requests because we're talking about uh, we've got at least two extremely high-level clerics. Uh, they're capable of raising the dead. Um, at least, I think I want to say at least two very high-level magic users able to use the wish spell to literally unmake reality. They can do whatever they want. Um, subject to the normal backlash and limitations one might expect from uh, A Tale of the Monkey's Paw. Um, even mid-level magic users can have access to spells such as Clairvoyance, which does not have a uh, distance limit uh, or a simple crystal ball right typical fantasy scrying spying stuff this poor guy has been dealing with that non-stop because here's what we found out in elite play and and this is a lesson they learned last july and and uh we're putting it into full effect in brovenloft information is 
probably more valuable than anything else. So everybody with access to ways of getting information, um, be it a network of uh, spies and assassins or uh, clairvoyance spells, even uh, or, or cleric clerics have divination. So if, if you have spotted a army or an opposing force or a city or an enemy camp, you can immediately get a full assessment of their strength uh, in men and treasure. Are, are uh, you suggesting that the person with a network of spies and assassins for hire was hired to spy on and assassinate someone? <laughs> Dad, you're on really shaky ground there, man. <laughs> uh, which is great because, hey, the Rat King put out his services right there in September. He says, hey, guys, I'm just going to do spying missions for you. All you got to do is pay me. And, uh, and he's been one of the busiest patrons this whole time. Um, my spy network doesn't overlap with that. I do uh, want but, to say this. This hmm. all goes to show why I think that why I think that the alignment of the assassin class should really be any evil and any lawful. Because governments have spies and assassins. I mean, proper governance. Uh, Sauron. Who played Sauron in the movie? Oh, don't give me that crap. Christopher Who Lee. Christopher Lee was literally a spy and assassin during World War II. There's no way he was evil as a person. You just have... Instead of a freelance assassin who works for money, a lawful assassin has to work for, uh, you know, the government or some other lawful patron, uh, a noble, a king, you know, whatever. I'm not saying, you know, we should house through that into every AD&D campaign. I'm just saying that I think that is a plausible interpretation of the class for um, for them to work for whatever government is in their land. And these series of events demonstrate why. The Pope should be able to call on lawful good assassins who go out and sneak around and spy on people, have all access to the spying rules of the assassin class um, without them being evil and without them threatening alignment change just for being evil. Or, you know, I mean, because if you're a lawful evil character, but you're always working for the good guys, what what kind of bind does that put you in? Um but if you're a, a, a lawful good character who genuinely believes in good, you can work for, you know, good governments. Um, and as long as you're obeying the law, and as long as you're doing it by their rules, lawful good strikes me as a perfectly viable 
alignment for uh, an assassin slash spy because we have seen plenty of, you know, plenty of cases where assassins have gone out and shattered enemy armies just with a few assassinations. And again, the series of events you've just described show why. But please continue. Or disagree with me. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, I, I do completely disagree. I, I think it's appropriate. First of all, in, in a game space, it's perfectly appropriate to restrict a class to a particular alignment or alignment range. And in, in this case, the alignment range is good enough for me. Um, it's, I don't think it's ever a lawful good act to, as a profession, kill people for money. That's what the assassin is. He kills people for money. And if you're ordered to undertake a mission and, and so on and so forth, um, even even if hired by a lawful good government or you know a lawful good uh, thing, that uh, first of all that would violate the the magistrate wh whoever is hiring you to do the job, be it legitimate government or not. I I have a hard time believing that employing an assassin is a good act, and I do not buy the argument that assassinating the right target is not uh, necessarily an evil act. Uh, you can't you can't create good by evil actions. And so that's where my disagreement comes in. If you have to during war or to prevent war, have someone sneak into an enemy stronghold and specifically kill and target one individual. <clears throat> you don't you, you can't trolley problem me on this one. Or no, it's not it's, a trolley it's, problem. It's it's it's, it's just, a trolley problem. It's it's an evil act. It's it's just the real world. Maybe. Well, we live in a awful real fallen world, which is why we assassinate people in fantasy worlds. That's true. But, um, where were we? Gosh, we're gonna take up the whole show if we hash this whole thing out. But I I do. Uh, I do understand your point of view. If you have a legitimate, legitimate government within a legitimate need, um, perhaps a lawful neutral character would be a reasonable assassin. And of course, in the uh, in the uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, you could always play a neutral thief and assassinate the old-fashioned way by just using your thief skills to set up a situation to kill them. You just, being an assassin gives you many, many benefits, mechanics, mechanically speaking. I am more thinking of the lawful neutral and lawful good people as being primarily spies, that assassination is something they would very, very rarely do, that they're more spies than assassins. That if would you be see a great... I, I do, I do. Thieves aren't permitted to be good, uh, but I would love to see, you know, a lawful neutral spy network in a lawful good nation. Um, aren't, aren't these allowed to be neutral good? I could be wrong about that. I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's possible for thieves to be neutral good. 
I'm sorry, I completely hijacked you, and we've wasted so much time <laughs> discussing my. No, oh, this is you know. this. Well, it's in, it's interesting to you and me, and uh, if if everybody listening uh, just fell asleep, uh, don't worry. There's not much el else to talk about in Brovenloft. Um, just to recap, Brovenloft started stroke of midnight. The Elf King is assassinated, which was surprising in two ways. Um, well, I mean, the main way it surprised me was that. I wasn't sure that you could do that to one of the patrons. I I didn't I didn't expect the um, assassins to be powerful enough to make that happen. Or I guess it was a mis mistaken impression on my part. I was given the impression that uh, you had to do a little bit more to take one out. I th I thought I I expected the DM to uh, have a little. I mean, September was the grace period, so not a grace period, but I was just surprised that uh, you could gank a patron on an assassination check, uh, which leads me to uh, the other thing uh, for, that we learned from Brovaloff, which, and we were talking about divination. Uh, everybody's using their divination spells. In fact, immediately, first thing this morning, as soon as everybody caught wind of, um, what's it called? the assassination, one of the factions immediately consulted all their clerics and made sure that nobody was gunning for that patron. That it's like, it, you could tell the whole game becomes live because then the other patrons catch wind of this and they say, oh crap, uh, is anybody doing that to me? Because I, I, would, I would like my character to survive till tomorrow, right? Uh, information, information, information. Uh, somebody paying attention and using their spells right or using the rat network right probably knows where everybody's armies are or, or a certain number of armies are, uh, can figure out where they're headed. Um, it's it's absolutely incredible that the, the, the prelude, the September prelude, let everybody set up their pieces on the board where they wanted. And now we've just started based on that setup. We're just going to see what happens. Um, I can't wait for more craziness to happen. I'm actually really excited. I think we're going to see more things happen by the end of the day. Um, and I would totally check in on that hashtag every day. If, if you like watching around. One of the useful things you could do with the, um, spy side of the assassin class. And one of the reasons why spies exist at all is for counterintelligence. That is not gathering, going out on spying missions, but rather ferreting out spies and assassins in your own country who are coming after you. And I say this both an as an example of the use of the class on a defensive, you know, sort of maneuver um, that would be within the lines of lawful neutral or lawful good, but also, you know, something that the patrons uh, involved in this game might want to do is find, beg, or borrow from other you know, 
higher from places in their home world, whatever, get, uh, get people who can counter spy and roll their percentage against whoever's trying to come at them and see if they can uh, locate it and, you know, kill those assassins. I mean, that's a use of the assassination table, I think, is clearly not evil. Killing someone who's coming to assassinate you. Sorry, uh, I mixed like three arguments together there. You don't want I, to I'm, respond to all of them. I, I, I'm actually really interested in the counterintelligence aspect of it because here's the, um, and not just countering opponent's spies, but misinformation. Uh, something that I noticed in the oh, September. Yeah. Counterintelligence Something, agencies can spread misinformation. That'd be great uh, because that'd be great because uh, to be able to counter opponent spies could be interesting, um, and you can do that. You can do that through regular actions. Uh, just you can set up the misinformation yourself so that when the DM you know makes a successful check, they might discover bad information. Um, what? bother or, or what bothered me what i noticed during the september prelude uh as part of my spying network was that the countermeasures to magical spying are few and far between they're not very potent unless you're dealing with high level magic users who can use things like the permanency spell or craft magical items or things like that um it is very easy to scry any character you have met or know about. Uh, now, high-level characters will know that you're scrying. They will see it. They, you know, they will. They will. They will notice the the uh, magic. But that doesn't stop you from actually getting the information that you need. So, in terms of information, everybody who has access to those sorts of abilities, be it a crystal ball or a magic mirror or uh, just the clairvoyance spell. Um, they're getting that information. Um, it's extremely potent stuff. And put in the hands of elite players using high-level characters, um, the advantage they have over armies of hundreds of or thousands of soldiers is uh, tough to measure. Uh, because as long as they're using their powers, they can stay 10 steps ahead of you. Uh, and also sometimes feed information to a network of assassins who will you know cut the snake off at the head but really interesting i i bet it's a deliberate hole you know uh, just going a little bit further the low level dungeons and dragons game of diving into underground warrens and and castle keeps and things looking for treasure the divination spells are really um they're scoped small because they're really helpful in that situation of determining hey you know, what's on the other side of this door? What's on the other side of this wall? Or which direction do we go to avoid the monsters? Or which direction do we go to get the treasure, right? Um, in that small scale, they're great, right? Maybe maybe you'd rather have a fireball at that time, or maybe you'd rather have something else. But, you know, you can use those spells to uh, make your treasure hunting quick and clean. You know, they, they mitigate risk. But... 
at this large scale, um, those tools still work, but in a player versus player situation, you don't really have any countermeasures. Uh, and that's that's where it sort of breaks down. You know, clairvoyance being a third level spell kind of makes sense now, right? Uh, because if it were only usable in a dungeon setting, you'd, you'd make it maybe level, you could even make, argue it for it being a level two spell, right? But as it, as it stands now, it has unlimited range and it lasts for about a minute per level. So if you know who you're spying on or what you're looking for, um, you basically have unlimited information. Really interesting stuff. And and illusionists actually have a lot of countermeasures, but they're very short lived. You know, you could you could you could protect yourself from scrying for a few minutes at a time or a, an hour at a time. Not not really helpful. Uh, so, uh, I the meta game, as it were, is divination, and I'm excited to see what happens for the rest of the month, whether any of that changes. And of course, we're talking about AD&D, so the metagame is also have-wish spells. Um, one of the things we promised to talk about on this show that we never did talk about is psionics. And how that is really relevant at this point is twofold. One, um, Rick Stump sent me a message uh, Thursday about getting him back on to talk about psionics. And two... What are the things you clairvoyance and other uh, and specific forms of divination magic? One of the ways to balance it is that you have a chance of drawing the attention of psionic attackers every time you use certain forms of those spells. And I wonder if, and, and obviously that only affects DDMB players. So I wonder if. Those people using A, D, and B divination spells um, are having those chances checked for. Oh, that's a great point. I since I doubt that just because the ref has had his hands absolutely full. Um but let's put that let's put that bug in his ear as sort of a I don't know if it's supposed to be a balancing factor to nonstop scrying. But uh, but yeah, and uh, lots of if you hit the deities and demigods book, there's a there's a lot of sonically active demons and devils and angels, which has implications there. So, I think I we we gotta we gotta put this bug in we gotta put this bug in the ref's ear war pick because I think that uh, that we can give him this tool to put in his toolkit uh, to make Brovenloft even more exciting. Here's uh, here's the here's the exact paragraph, and again we want to get Rick Stump on because this is. Um, this is uh, exactly what we wanted to talk about. It was a, a, an article on his site. Use of psionic powers or related magic spells, such as clairaudience, clairvoyance, ESP, detection, uh, levitation, etc., does not attract the attention of creatures or monsters with psionic powers unless they are within range and attuned to such activity. Hmm. Which is a 
very big unless. A perusal of Ants Dungeons and Dragons Monster Manual will reveal which sort of creatures are to be expected and guarded against if psionic powers are exercised, including those spells. Oh boy. Um, and that's pretty much all your divination spells. What page and is that? It is in your player's handbook at the end of the psionic spells, chapter 117, uh, is the bards are beginning. Um, Got it. And uh, a lot of those creatures are just on the astral plane wandering about. So, yeah, it's not a frequent thing. It's not an everyday or thing, but man. It sure can happen, and it sure sucks when it does. Yeah, like so, it, it might be a one in a thousand thing, but <clears throat> I I happen to know of one spy network heavily using divination spells that uh, cast anywhere from uh, three to eight per day. That, uh, yeah, I mean, those are big chances uh people who could all of a sudden show up with their brains eaten just uh just uh just some little you know little tidbits hidden here and there in the AD&D rules make a make a big difference um also i want to say one thing about brovenock before we jump subjects um I really think it is against the against the intended feel of the setting that Brovenloft is meant to be implementing for it to be easy for people to leave the uh demi-plane of the dead I think it should be easy to enter and hard to leave because they were built as prisons for various ne'er-do-wells and having it all be in one terrain is great obviously because it's been fun and hilarious but people randomly jumping back and forth between their home campaign and Brovenloft uh, or trivially doing so is I think against the spirit, the spirit. of especially the Halloween horror October themed campaign so it's up to, you know, the people running the place, obviously. But I think if you enter Grovenloft during October, you should be on lockdown during October and shouldn't be allowed to go anyplace else. That's just my humble opinion, which holds, you know, precisely as much water as anybody listening wants to give it. Mm. Uh, for, for what it's worth, I agree. Um, 
it, for me, to me, it's a hindsight thing. Um, because the, the, the thing that made Brovenloft so much fun so far was the spontaneous nature of it. And, uh, if, <clears throat> if you were to do another event in the future, then you'd want to set up one or two how or ground rules ahead of time about how people interact with it. But uh, I do agree. I, I do agree about that. The trick is the trick was getting. Um, I think the main thing that we wanted to establish was how do we get people from outside Brovenloft to interact, which that's part of the fun. It's not just the jockeying for position amongst these huge monsters, but how do we get players to come in and actually play in the game? That's the hard yeah. part. And now all the patrons are going to be. Um obsessed with machinations against each other and most of them are the dms and so campaigns who have players in provenloft uh you know they were running their home gms were running uh modules that were you know the details of which would have been sent to them and now what are they there's suddenly a dearth of content to run associated with Provenloft. So that's also going to be a challenge to set up. Yeah, some of the some of the patrons have um, made description sufficient to play a little bit. Some of the patrons have actually either generated a, a dungeon or a theme for the dungeon so that you can randomly generate or generate as you choose um for example i believe um in the pope's domain the pope <clears throat> the pope is uh influenced by assassin's creed and uh <laughs> super mario brothers video games <laughs> so uh yeah if you want to have a, a an adventure in the sewers and the catacombs below um below rome just you know, you can whip up a dungeon with a Mario Brothers theme, and and you'd be appropriate. Uh, but I don't think I don't think a lot of the patrons have uh, created anything else that's helpful for uh, players. Which is um, uh, B Dubs in Twin Peaks is a good example. B Dubs, great DM, but he said flat out at the beginning, "I'm not creating anything. Like this is just this is just the domain. Here you go." So. Twin Peaks is available as a as a base of operations, but there's no real content there. You know, there's there's an example of the other way. So we'll see. I mean, the first the first um, during during Brovenloft, the first uh, sessions I think are going to be run tomorrow. I think of all the DMs, I think we've got a game running every day, but Tuesday every week. I think Tuesday and Saturday are the days that that nobody has a game running. So I think we'll see uh, Red Frontier is probably going to be in Brovenloft tomorrow. Um, I don't know who's the Wednesday game. I think that's Dubs are on. And uh, Trilopolis plays on Thursday. And and uh, anyway, I don't have them all straight, but we're going to find out through the week just how much fun everybody has uh, at the player level, at the session level. Well, Brian's going to be missing, so it's either going to be me or Jeffro on Thursdays. Uh, and by me, I mean me and Brovenloft, not me in, you know, Bomb Brazil. 
Right, right. Uh, we, 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 we all would like to play in Brovenloft if possible. So we'll find out what happens. But speaking about Brazil... Yo. Um, one of the complaints I saw in the Trollopolis chat was that there were these games where either the game master doesn't provide you with the choice to where everywhere you go you run into the adventure that he had planned for that night. Or everywhere you go, you run into a adventure um, so you never go any place that's boring because there's always an adventure waiting for you somewhere. And that the Trollopulus or Broessar on the whole despised those sort of events, despised those sorts of campaigns. Those sorts of campaigns were for weaklings and subhumans who could not manage to run the kind of stern and austere games that St. Gygax himself used to run. Now, obviously, I'm, you know, exaggerating there. But there is an implied corollary to that motto, to that line of thinking. And uh, I believe my fellow host, is about to identify the implied <laughs> corollary now. Sometimes you end up in a boring place. <laughs> that is entirely correct. If your choices matter, if your choices are real, you can choose to do the boring thing. Which brings us back to... Bomb Brazil session on Thursday, which I was the game master for. Now, full, full confession. There was a slight little bit of, uh, normally we run the, you can start anywhere you want, you can do anywhere you want. I let the players know ahead of time, hey, this is what's going on. And the players most were pretty much on board with starting where um, I had a specific uh, set of events set up. So they chose to do that. People can say that's railroady. Um, I don't think it is. I think it's out of character interaction to let people know, hey, you know, this is going on with Bomb Brazil or this is going on with Brovenloft. I have kind of a Brovenloft thing here. If you want to, um, you know, you can go on this Bomb Brazil uh, thing and that will link you up with Brovenloft. And provide you with some non-nuclear waste 
non-radioactivity, non-burned-down countryside means of getting to Brovenland, which was, um, once again, we didn't have, I didn't know, because I hadn't been told, that there were now magical pine cones which teleported people to and from Brovenloft with the ease of an elevator ride. Um, so there was some things that I had been putting in place and planning for Bomb Brazil um, and a little link thing that players had discovered there uh, for almost a month, uh, predating all of this. Um, so you're, you're saying that is that you, you had some ideas to get in and out of Brovenloft before it became trivial e easy for people to get in and out. I had some ideas that people could end up getting in and out of Brovenloft before Brovenloft was even a thing. And I can tell you from past experience uh, as one of your players, this is this is actually not an uncommon. This is this is not an abnormal thing for you to think of. Um. So the players uh, chose to start. Um, where I had uh, where I'd suggested they could, uh, especially since um, the thing they wanted to explore relied on them having access to a magic item that one of their companions had who had apparently absconded with it and then disappeared in the area of a nuclear explosion. So they didn't know where he was, they didn't know what he was doing, and he had to all intents and purposes, you know, vanished. So they wanted to go and find where he was, what he was doing, and so forth. All right, they get to this other uh, dimension. They arrive outside of a city. It's a gargantuan city with 200-foot walls, um, and the walls are, although they didn't measure this at the time, the walls are 20 feet on a side, um, around this city. And they don't know what shape the walls are because when the walls are 20 feet long or 20, excuse me, 20 feet, 20 miles on a side surrounding this city, 200 feet high, 20 miles long surrounding this city. And they don't know what the configuration of the walls are because a 20 mile height, just to cover the entire distance of a wall, makes it pretty hard to circumnavigate the structure. So they see, now, again, they don't know this is how big the city is. They just see these monumental walls that stretch off in the distance. 
And as they're walking closer to the walls, they see there's windows and um, balconies, and their magnificent climbing thief, who is a half orc. Um, for those of you that don't know what that means, in AD&D, half-orcs have phenomenal cosmic climbing power, climbs up to the balcony, lets down some ropes. Their small army, there's about 16 characters, uh, six of whom are PCs, the rest, the balance of whom are uh, henchmen, climbs up into this apartment, set up high on the wall, Goes into the kitchen. Now remember, this does not take. This this isn't as quick as I'm describing it because it's all climbing checks and then all debates and all questions about. Wow, these walls are so high. Do giants live here? And serious questions about whether or not giants actually live in this city. Um, which is not a discussion I had expected to take place, but then again, I don't expect anything as a GM. I'm not trying to lay breadcrumbs or trying to, um, you know, I'm not trying to guide the players in any particular direction. I'm just throwing out what is there and, and letting them go. Um, I think that's where a couple of players may have been misled. They thought that because I had told people where this module might be found and would begin that they expect. And this was after like three or four weeks of just hints. I was just hinting where this might be found and where something similar might, who they might want to go to, to find something like this. So finally I gave a blatant hint last night because three or four weeks of hints wasn't, wasn't subtle enough. I, I got, I, I was being really subtle, and it apparently was too subtle. So I did blatant hits, um, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If you keep on throwing out the subtle hints, you know, sometimes you give blatant hits and then let them choose. If they don't want to, you know, if it sounds like something they want to do, then they'll go and do it. If they, it isn't, then they'll go and not do it. And I also found out that, you know, Sometimes subtly hinting uh, that a character, that a non-player character talks interminably by you yourself talking interminably. Um, sometimes the players interpret that as if it's the game master wanting to talk on and on and on and on. And <laughs> that was and actually not... really funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> and... I was not... thinking the same thing. I was like, I... I'm just going to let her talk. I want to see where he's going with this. I want to see how long he can go on with this. It was really the character who just would ramble on forever. And I kept rambling on forever <laughs> until somebody asked a question and then I could finally stop. <laughs> oh boy. And I really was rambling on for two or three minutes, I think. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> I thought it was I didn't think it was hilarious, but I think for the first for the first minute I wasn't entirely sure that that was going on. <laughs> and then by a minute I was like, okay, I get it. Um 
But yeah, I think they were expecting me to railroad them through the module. And the hint to start it was as far as, you know, it wasn't really railroady either. It was just a hint to the players. Um, and then after that, I wasn't railroading anything. So they got inside this apartment. They heard somebody snoring and they went into the kitchen and found this big, huge fat man lying down on the table with this meal, half-eaten meal next to him. And he was snoring. So they arranged to, they, he was not a giant. He was human. The room was human. The balcony was human-sized. Everything was human-sized, which I was hoping was enough clue that no, this, you know, the, the half-hour discussion they had about it being giants. I was hoping all of these things were clues that no, this wasn't a giant-sized city, that these were just, normal humans building on a massive scale um so immediately upon coming to this strange city they decide to break into an apartment instead of looking for a door and then they decide to tie this poor cook up and wake him up and ask him questions at knife point which I admit I wasn't expecting. So the very first thing the cook says in response to these questions is, what, what, what do you mean? I don't understand. And the very next thing the cook says in response to all of these questions, for again, I think it was a full half hour, it may have been longer, was, what? What? What are you asking? I don't understand. Now, I don't mind telling you, I was incredibly bored at this point. Because there was literally nothing going on. And I was sincerely racking my brain to come up with anything exciting to happen. And I couldn't think of a single darn exciting thing to happen at this point. I was just trying to get things to go a little bit faster and do everything I could not to slow them down. Um, and so we got off the wall. Eventually they decided, oh, we shouldn't be tormenting this poor cook. He knows nothing. And inside my head, I'm thinking, yes, yes, he knows nothing. <laughs> And if he did know a sliver of something, he's too scared to answer. He doesn't know what's happening. You all are extra dimensional travelers. And I gave him a couple of small clues that he knows extra dimensional travelers. He's seen them before, but he's never seen these specific kinds of extra dimensional travelers. And he's just too scared to answer anything. So eventually they leave, they get off the balconies, leaving all their ropes behind because they have to leave them there to clamber down. And they go walking, doing, doing the 10 mile hike to get around the corner. And they meet the city guard and the city guard asks them to you know, take an oath that they're not going to go around breaking any laws. I thought this would just be a little 
common things. And by this time, it's clear everybody's bored. And we have a short break to talk about everybody being bored. And I say, look, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that, oh, no, right before this, they decide, no, we're not going into the city. We're going to turn around and we're going to head off into the black sand wastes in search of the adventure. And I'm like, okay. Um, specifically, they're, they're, the assignment they accepted from this one patron was there are secrets in this dimension I wish to see unearthed. Go get them. And kind of the question the player characters asked at this point was, why us? How do we know? And his basic answer was, I have confidence in you that you will notice the secrets and that you will be capable of going and unearthing them when you notice them. Maybe his confidence was a bit high. Um, so they turn around and go wandering off into the black sand wastes. I'm doing cool little details, you know, to try and make the setting seem uh, a little bit um, a little bit uh, exotic. The uh, the bricks of the road repel this sand that blows constantly. Um, And we have a little talk about how bored everyone is. And I say, look, I'm genuinely sorry everyone's bored. But in my defense, you guys are choosing to go and do boring things. I'm, I'm literally trying to tell you by saying I don't know anything several different times in different ways that he doesn't know anything and that questioning him further will be fruitless. I did everything I could have short of telling you he doesn't know anything. You should move on. You searched the kitchen and there was nothing there outside of normal kitchen stuff. You searched the dining room. And there was nothing there outside of what's normally in a dining room. Somebody went upstairs to search, you know, the cook's bedroom. And all they found in there were clothes and other assorted accoutrements that you would expect a cook or any normal person to have in the room. There's no shrines to demonic gods. There's no, you know... There's no necklace of, of fingers. There's no, you know. I mean, I, I, I want to jump in here. <laughs> I don't think anybody was fooled about the cook and whether he was useful or anything like that. By the time we got to that point, the players were bored and frustrated. Um, and, but on the other hand, 
none of us were really thinking of good questions to ask. You know, it was pretty clear that the the walls in this city were not going to be exactly what they thought they were, but we didn't want anything to do with the with the city. Um, we thought we were going to that temple, and so we were basically stuck in a spot where we couldn't get to that temple, and nobody thought of any good questions to ask that would help move the situation along or make a decision as to what to do next. Um, there's there's a lot of reasons why that happened, and a lot of reasons why you or the players could have done or said something different so that it didn't happen. But once we were at that point, everybody was too bored and tired to actually turn the game session around. And frankly, we could have just stopped the game and talked about initiative for the rest of the night. Nobody, even people who normally are really sharp, um, in, I'm thinking in particular, uh, uh, one player who's a, who's typically sort of the smartest guy in the room and the, and the, uh, the, the guy who can get us unstuck, I think he was busy with work because we basically didn't hear from him for most of the night. Um, so what? Like, uh, the, these things happen. But like by the by the time we were interrogating the cook, it was off the rails. <clears throat> like it was obvious from that point that nobody was even thinking of any good questions. Um, you know, and that's that's why the rest of the game sort of went the way it did. So so what was your um, so what were you driving at? In I'm not not in the not in game like that's what happened. Um, the master legitimately assumed that if he placed you next to a big, large city and said, I want you to discover some secrets, you would go into the big, large city. Well, I mean, out of character, if the master, if the master knew that there was a city on the other side where he was teleporting us, he should have just said that. Um, this Probably. his whole his whole mysterious shtick. Um, well, I mean, I can tell you from my perspective. Um, we already felt the railroadiness of it. Like, hey, this is a prepared thing, and here's how you engage with the prepared thing. And if the master knew more about it, when we spent like half an hour grilling the master, okay, tell us more. Like, what do you want us to get? What do you want us to do? Right? Why are you why are you sacrificing thousands of gold pieces worth of spells to get us to a place that we could just get to for free? Right? We needed more information. Um, and and frankly, I, frankly, I wanted to use my assassination table on the master by the end of that conversation. <laughs> Um, so I think in that way, so everybody comes into the session tired. Uh, we don't get the information that we asked for. Um, and now finding out that the master actually had that information and could have just said, oh yeah, so where we're taking you, we're not taking you to where you were before. Here's a city, go check it out, right? Um, that alone would have at least give, set us the expectation and given us more enough information to decide whether we wanted to do that or we wanted to just jump into the bag and go to where we wanted to. Let me put it um, this so way. that was a, that, that was a huge missed opportunity. The master um, can't 
there are certain things the master has been able to freely talk to you about. And there are certain things the master hasn't freely talked to you about. And they have had a commonality every time. Well, I mean, in terms of, like in terms of what happened at the beginning of that session and, and why it, why it went down the way it did when everybody was sort of tired and frustrated, that's why. And I do not care at all what the in-game um, reasons are. Well, what I thought of after the module is that I should have set you down inside the city. That would have sort of cut to the... <laughs> that was my my chief error. That that would have that that would have that would have put the, that would have been the band aid on on the beginning of the session for sure. Because I so know that, that you put a like based on your descriptions and and everything, you put a lot of work and thought into the nature of this realm and how it interacts with Chalopolis realm and everything like that. So like the 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 work and everything is is well appreciated. Um, it was just sort of we got off to a really bad start and um, and there was no fixing it. It was it was my starting you off inside the city would have given you challenges right off at the beginning. It would have given you interesting situations to react to right off at the beginning it would have given you questions to answer immediately it would have given you something uh, to do it would have given you choices to make right away meaningful choices and yeah that and and the one thing that um the the one thing that i i want to you're absolutely correct i the one thing i want to stress about the the master's introduction to the adventure the part that wasn't clear that really twisted my brain was we made it very clear what we wanted to do when we got into the black sand so what wasn't made clear from the master was hey if you're going to accept my help on this you're not doing that right like i'm sending you in for a different purpose that wasn't clear because all we wanted to do was find that ruined temple and check it out. Like that was our priority number one. Um, so yeah, putting us right in the city, of course, would, in hindsight, that would have been a great uh, way to start it off. And also, also, uh, you know, players who are awake. Um, and itching to play would help too. I literally didn't think of that until two or three hours after the session ended. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think of it till you mentioned it. Should have been so obvious. Well, I'll tell you what the difficulty was, is I thought of, I thought of this ahead of time. And because I thought of it ahead of time, um, Kind of had the had the idea locked 
in my mind that I didn't rethink the idea. Mm -hmm. If I had had the idea off the top of my head, there was a good chance I would have thought of something better because that's how it works with me. <laughs> it was, you mean, you mean the introduction to the thing? Cause I mean, I know you've got ideas on what, you know, what we would find in there. So no, just everything. Whatever I think about stuff for the game or setting or whatever, what I think up spontaneously in the moment is always better than what I have prepared ahead of time. That's just always how it happens. Uh, uh, that's unless... a, isn't that the great thing about RPGs? If you really just, or when, when you get the opportunity to just trust your instinct and, and go with it, uh, the stuff that comes out is incredible. Un unless I'm feeling under the weather or tired, and I was feeling under the weather last night. Um, it really wasn't until you guys got into the library that I was like, okay, there's something I can chew on right now. Yeah. But by then it was too late. And I really did have something exciting to chew on right then. I'm like, bam, okay. And everything came together and I was awake and excited and I knew stuff could go in what directions it could go and things like that. And then it was 9.30 and it was too late. Hey, uh, that sort of, it raises a question for me and, and I've, I've, that's happened to me in a, in a few games before. How do you know when it's time to just take five and, you know, stop the session for the night? Like we didn't necessarily have to stop the session, but um, even even before we actually got to playing, like nobody really seemed up for a long and involved game. Just an open question. Interesting. I I've only really had that happen that I can think of twice. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's happened more than that, but it's not. I'm not prone to awkwardness as a game master. I'm not prone to having no ideas. And typically it's when I'm tired and can't think of anything. Well, I, I'm, really I, I'm speaking rare. of, I'm speaking of overall, because even if that's really rare for you, you might have a bunch of people who are just not as, not as energetic as you, as you thought. Cause like I keep going over that. Like that was a real problem last time we played. Like everybody was tired. Kess couldn't even play. He was too busy uh, handling proven loft requests. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and Jeffrey was was uh, not to not to single any one player out, but there, everybody was tired. Yeah, it's all right. Sometimes uh, 
sometimes a session happens like that. But I think to your original point, uh, yeah, maybe maybe bad decisions were made on by all parties because of fatigue or something like that. But you know, if maybe and maybe that's where a stupid new D and D module uh, could help, if where a railroad could help. But yeah, you you get a bunch of people and and they make the decisions. Sometimes it's not interesting decisions. Um, maybe we should have just called it at the beginning of the night if everyone was exhausted. But I mean, I understand we all wanted good D and D. We've all gotten good D and D from the Tropolis campaign, so we were all hoping for it. Yeah, D and D is like pizza. Uh, no D and D is better than bad D and D. But anyway, uh, really, is the, really. Is the chat offering any insights? Uh, chat has been killed <laughs> um, by this discussion. Uh, I think I think we have extended the boredom into. Uh, the past the hour mark on the geek gab. No, but Brian said uh, yes. His brain was fried. Yeah, Brian. Brian was fried. He's he's uh, he's corroborating. Um. So yeah, uh, that's how it is. Uh, anything else you want to go over today? Oh, Bob oh. Stevens, another player was tired. Oh yeah, Bob was tired. Uh, Chris said he was tired. Yep. Oh, is that what happened? I must have been away for that. Uh, we know Jeffro was tired. I was tired. Mm. So yeah, I mean, it happens. You the game master and two thirds of the players are all not firing on all cylinders yeah that'll that'll take a hit on your on your session well um, uh i was just checking in on brovenloft nothing crazy's happened in the past hour and a half so uh your your patrons probably safe if you're if you're rooting for one or you're playing one, nothing crazy's happened. I hope, uh, I hope we get to have more reports by next week. Um, War Pig, do we have anybody lined up for the next couple of weeks for guests? Um, maybe Rick Stump for next week. Talk about Sonics. Yeah. Cool. So uh, that'd be great to talk to him. He's always uh I always like talking to him about D D. We kinda own that conversation. So sometimes I think the biggest piece of wisdom I got out of this is sometimes if you're feeling sick and nearly everybody else is too. 
sometimes it's better to call to call the game rather than charging on. The hard part is recognizing that for sure. That was a very unusual confluence of We have a disagreement. Getting together for Dini is worthwhile, even if things don't go as well as usual. Uh, yeah, if you mean getting together with your buddies, absolutely. Um, but maybe maybe you don't play so much D&D. Maybe you... Well, the ending is what shaped up, you know, everything from the stagecoach pulling up to the end is what was, you know... Saved it. Saved it, yeah. So the beginning may have been bad, but that latter half, the only thing that went wrong with the latter half is that um, when the opportunity for an adventure finally came, uh, we didn't have the time for that. But we did get we did get a good introduction to um, Ultima Magnus, the city. Uh, that is the crossroads of worlds, which, of course, you will recognize is uh, a spiritual successor, at least, to one of my other cities. Yeah. I actually didn't realize that until just right now. Yeah, I, I alluded to it earlier in the show. I was like, hmm. I know what Warpig's doing. Even if he doesn't. And he did not. Um, but yeah. The ending of it was good. So maybe sometimes you just have to, if you hit a boring patch because of your mistakes as a GM or uh, a DM or player choice maybe you just have to push on through and it'll get better yeah i i think i think going over it sort of helped us learn a lot and i hope uh, everybody who listens later uh, got some some insight out of it to to reiterate what what i'm what i've been thinking of is as a uh, uh as a player uh maybe it uh, maybe being clearer about what you're looking for. Uh, if any one of us could have better articulated, hey, we want to do this and we want to ask the master how is he going to help us with this or what does he want to do, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so being more clear about sort of what your plans are uh, for for the e evening would help. Um, and a um, Uh, recognizing when when players are sort of out of it, what do you do about them? Uh, and if and if everybody's out of it, maybe you just sort of you know stumble on. My thoughts just scrambled inside the my head as they were getting to my tongue. Also. Uh... If you have a good game master who likes to show by showing, 
instead of by telling things to you outright, uh, pay attention to what he's doing. <laughs> um, oh, this is, and, and this is the thing that uh, I think from a player's perspective, you really know, uh, need to remember, which is, and this happens all the time when you play D&D. You start off doing one thing, or you start off wanting to do one thing, and then a wandering monster check goes wrong, or uh, you find out some NPCs or some villains have changed the board on you. You know, you wanted to go one way, but you can't go that way. You have to go the other. You have to be flexible and adaptable. And the biggest uh, problem we had was that we forgot that lesson. We were too tired to adapt. Can't go to the temple that you wanted to go to? Well, okay, here's the city. You know, Our two main options were to go wandering on the waste looking for the temple or try the uh, or try this thing. Um, just be flexible. Like, okay, we can't do what we want to do. What can we do? Right. Uh, that would have helped a lot. And I think that's that's probably the biggest lesson from the player's perspective. Right. Um, you're only guaranteed a certain amount of session time. You're not guaranteed to be able to do the module or the dungeon or whatever that you want. Or the way that you want it. So that's the wisdom I've gleaned. Um, and I don't know how we're going <laughs> to... That's something we should talk about sometime later or uh, maybe have Brian or Chris or somebody talk about is the role of devourers uh, in bags of <laughs> devouring and bags of holding. Oh, that, that's the cool thing about the way Trilopolis is run is that uh, Brian and Jeffro have been very welcoming to any and all crazy stuff added to the game uh, by another DM. So uh, that's we've got a fortunate set of game masters. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm good. Not. I think we have, have a good summation, so I'm good. Mm -hmm. Picking up and moving on. Got a good thing going. Anyway, uh, that was fun to talk about. Lots of wisdom. Lots of crazy stuff to look forward to. Uh, I'm ready to wrap up. Unless you have any last thoughts. No, actually, I'm tired. I think we should quit while we're ahead. <laughs> uh, that was 30 minutes ago. But anyway, I mostly kid. I'm not kidding at all. Uh, it was a good discussion, but we're all tired. So I hope everybody has a great week. I appreciate everybody in the chat. Uh, Bradford Walker, looking forward to your learnings on the domain game running AD&D. Really great stuff at his blog. And uh, check Twitter for news on Brovenloft. It's been really entertaining. Uh, in fact, right after the show, I think I'm going to go watch the latest in the fight for Stormbringer in the cosmos. Um, but uh, that's it for today. I'm signing off. Daddy Warpig, the show's yours. All right. We want to thank everybody who came and listened live and participated in the chat. Uh, we want to thank everyone uh, who will listen later. We are our Geek Gab. Available on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. We are here just about every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. 
And uh, you can also catch us on SoundCloud.com, on the Google Play Store, and on Apple, uh, on the Apple Media Store. Just do a search for Geek Cab. You can download us to the device of your choice, you know, your Apple uh, iPhones and so on and so forth, your Android devices or your home computer, or you can just listen to us on the web. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.